Lonnie Franklin Jr. was born on August 30th, 1952, and he grew up in the South Central Los Angeles area, and there isn't much about his childhood growing up or anything really on his childhood that I could find, but after high school, he joined the army and became a cook. He was given a dishonorable discharge on July 24th, 1975, because in 1974, he was stationed in Germany, and Lonnie and his two army buds um, decided that they wanted to kidnap a woman. So one night they attempt to kidnap a woman, but she's like, no, it's not happening today. She's putting up a fight, and with that, she's drawing a lot of attention to herself. So they decide to abort the mission of kidnapping this woman. After their first attempt, they continue looking for someone else to kidnap. They then spot 17-year-old Ingrid, who is walking to the train station after leaving her boyfriend's house. When three men approach her, they ask her for directions and then offer her a ride home. Ingrid gets in the car and they then hold her at knife point and then drove her to a field where they each take turns sexually assaulting her. And, and then all of a sudden, like, Lonnie takes out his camera and takes a picture of her. And then they just drop her off like nothing happened. But before she left, Ingrid acted like she was interested in Lonnie and asked for his phone number. The next morning, she goes to the police. And from what I was able to gather, she had a plan to get Lonnie and turn him in. So she calls Lonnie because she got his number from last night and tells him to meet her at the train station. And when she sees him, she drops a handkerchief on the ground. And that was like the police's signal to go and arrest him. So that's what went down. And it was a setup. She set him up, which was absolute genius of an idea. Lonnie Franklin was arrested on May 6, 1974, and he had an eight-day trial where Ingrid testified, and the three men tried to convince the German courts that everything was consensual. The defense tried to support the claims of the men, saying that it was consensual because Ingrid had no signs of fighting back. Now, Ingrid said that she didn't fight back because she was scared of what they were going to do. For all she knew, if she fought back, they could have, you know, killed her. Lonnie was convicted and sentenced to three years and four months in prison, and he was discharged from the army. And then the other two men were sentenced to four years. Now, they gave Lonnie a three-year sentence because they weren't sure that he was the quote-unquote mastermind behind this whole thing. They said that he would never do something like this, and he was pressured by the other two guys to participate, which, which is crazy that we're just assuming the best out of someone that kidnaps and sexually assaults a woman. And the courts said that he was less likely to re-offend because he's a great guy that fell into the wrong crowd, 
it's it's not making sense it's the giving people a second chance for me that's what it is after he was discharged he returned back to south central los angeles and around his neighborhood he was known as the loan shark meaning basically he was the bank you wanted to borrow some money he would go and help you out Lonnie would also work on cars. He was a mechanic, a certified mechanic. I have no idea, but he was a mechanic. And then Lonnie starts working as a trash collector for the LA Department of Sanitation. His first wife did drugs and um, when Lonnie would get a paycheck, he would give some of the money to her so you know she can pay the bills. But instead, she would use the money to buy drugs. So Lonnie would go home, there's no water, there's no electricity, and he's like, something's not adding up. He's like, where's the money I gave you? So eventually, their marriage does come to an end, and pretty much after their marriage, um, Lonnie, you know, sees what drugs and alcohol does to someone, and he becomes pretty vocal about not wanting to be around people that drink alcohol. Like, he absolutely despised it. And he starts to have this vendetta against sex workers. Um, I don't know why. Um, I, I don't want to assume things, but, like, you can't hate sex workers unless you have an experience with people. Like, maybe his wife was a sex worker and she was never home, so... I don't know, but I mean, that would make sense as to why he hates them. You can't just see women on the road and hate them. It doesn't make sense. Hello, everyone. Welcome or welcome back to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade, and thank you so much for listening. So last week, we talked about serial killer Charlie Brent, who they found out was a serial killer after he was dead which I've never heard about, and I thought that it was really interesting. But today we are going to be talking about Lonnie Franklin, also known as the Grim Sleeper. So let's get started. In the mid-1980s, LAPD becomes aware of an apparent serial killer on the loose that was targeting black women who were involved in either drugs or sex work or both. The media gives the killer the name Southside Strangler, and I was reading an article called The Tales of the Grim Sleeper, and I will have that article linked down below in the description box. And in the article, I learned that the police officers use an acronym called NHI, meaning No Humans Involved, and they use this acronym to describe the killing of prostitutes or drug addicts who were people of color. And I am... I'm bamboozled by this. I will talk more about that later on at the end of the case. Um, But I think that that's absolutely disgusting and it's crazy that they would look at these people who are victims of some type of murder and say that they're not humans. They considered these victims as non-useful members of society, so they weren't going to pay attention to those cases. And even though the LAPD knew of a serial killer targeting black women, they 
failed to reach out to the community and warned them until 2007 when at the time the murders had been taking place for 22 years. These women didn't get any news coverage, nothing at all, so no one knew that there was a serial killer going around targeting black women. And at the same time, Richard Ramirez here was just going around LA and San Francisco and killing people. Now, Richard Ramirez killed people that lived in nice areas that were white women and were considered quote-unquote useful to society. So that gained the attention of the media and that was all everyone was talking about. Um, so that absolutely is crazy. I, it, it bamboozles me every single time. Margaret Prescott, the founder of the Black Coalition Fighting Back Serial Killers and other community activists, held protests outside the LAPD headquarters every single week in hopes to pressure the LAPD to look and investigate these murders. Margaret Prescott accused the LAPD of indifference for the deaths of black women who were poor, who did drugs, and were sex workers. And the LAPD basically were like, no, no we didn't. We did not do such a thing. So now, the LAPD was getting pretty frustrated that they were being called out for not launching an investigation and doing something about these murders. So they finally decided to launch an investigation. Sooner or later, they found out that they were looking for a black man targeting black women. They were looking for a black man who worked as a mechanic, and I don't really know how they came up with this theory, but Lonnie was a mechanic and he would work on some of the police cars and even the police officer's personal cars because he knew what he was doing and he wasn't, you know, like charging a lot. So everyone knew that Lonnie was a mechanic, but no one suspected him because he just worked on cars, you know. In August 1985 in South Los Angeles, Deborah Johnson was a 29-year-old cocktail waitress and a mother to two children. She was abducted while on the way home from a friend's house. On August 10, 1985, she was found in an alleyway with three gunshot wounds to the chest. Lonnie stopped after the first victim just to see what would happen if he could get away with it. Um, you know, just to see if it was ever going to be on the news, newspapers, would anyone talk about it? Would anyone notice a difference? Um, but a year later, he meets Sylvia, and the two get married and have two children, a son and a daughter. They didn't really have the best relationship. Um, Sylvia was never home, and she eventually just up and left him on a hole. Lonnie realizes that no one is talking about the murder. It's nowhere on the news, nowhere in the newspaper. People have no idea. So the idea pops into his head, asking himself, maybe I can do it again and get away with it. A year later, on August 12, 1986, Henrietta Wright, a 35-year-old, was found not too far from where Deborah was found. 
She was sexually assaulted, shot twice in the chest, and wrapped in a blanket with a mattress on top of her, and she was gagged. So police are starting to put two and two together to make four, um, when they realize that Deborah and Henrietta were killed in the same way, they are figuring out this man's MO at the same time. And then they find another body, but it's not the same MO. Because there are so many serial killers in the 80s. I don't know why. But, no, specifically just serial killers active in the 80s in California. I don't know why, but it gave law enforcement an idea of the different types of MO from different serial killers. Most of the bodies that they found from other cases were out in the open, kind of like for law enforcement to see and for serial killers to be like, hey, look what I did. Now you have to put this on the news for everyone to know about, you know? Um, So they would be on highways, open fields, just out in the open for everyone to see. But Lonnie was hiding his victims. He would take them to an alley and then leave them there because no one could see them. Kind of like out of sight, out of mind. So no one sees them and he basically gets away with murder over and over and over again. Then... The police find 36-year-old Thomas Steele, who was found on August 14, 1986. He was found in the middle of the intersection, and this throws police off completely, because now they're looking for people that have killed black women that have been shot in the chest and that have been in an alleyway. Now, Thomas Steele is a man found out in the open... And he's killed a different way. And they believe that this was a different person that killed this man. But they told the media that, yes, it is the same person that killed the last two women. On January 10th, 1987, 23-year-old Barbara Ware was found. She's found in an alley under a pile of trash and was shot once in the chest. Lonnie then started making comments around the neighborhood saying how he was the one cleaning up the streets, but no one believed him. They're like, yeah, right, Lonnie, 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 you're you're funny. That's hilarious. They're like, yeah, stop, stop joking because you're lying and that's hilarious. No, you know, no one believed him. No one took him seriously. So that gave him another like rite of passage to be like, Yeah, I can keep doing this and get away with it because no one believes me. November 20th, 1988, 30-year-old Anitria is heading out to go and hang with her friends. She's walking and a well-dressed man pulls up and offers her a ride. And she declines and then he responds by saying, quote, Black women think too highly of themselves, end quote. And it's like, okay, nobody axed. She just doesn't want to ride. And clearly he doesn't deal with rejection well. So she decides to get in the car and just go for the ride. You know, she's like, okay, forget what you said. I'm just going to take this ride and just leave. She notices how the car was really clean and it was well kept. And she compliments him so it's not weird and that they're just driving in silence. 
And then they strike up a conversation, but she gets this bad energy from him. And she can't really pinpoint it, but she just gets these bad vibes from him. And like your intuition, you can't explain it to somebody else. It's just a feeling that each of us get. And you will know when you get that feeling. So he randomly just starts making these, like, random stops getting out of the car and talking to people and she's like uh sir i got places to be so stop talking to people and please drop me off when he gets back in the car she says something to him and he says something back but she can't hear what he says and she's like can you repeat that he says quote bitch i'll shoot you again end quote and she's like uh since when i've been shot And when she realizes that she's been shot, she then passes out. The witness provided a description of the person. He was described as a young black male. And the police are shocked because they weren't really looking for a black man. They said, yes, there are black men targeting black women, but that's what they were telling people. They didn't believe it for themselves that there was a black man killing black women because you know like the typical profile of a serial killer is a white man 20 to 30 years old and that's what they were going off of on august 15 1987 26 year old bernita sparks was walking to the store to buy cigarettes he then kidnaps her and throws her in the dumpster she was beaten strangled and shot in the chest Mary Lowe, a 26-year-old, was out celebrating Halloween with her friends, and she's on her way home, and Lonnie picks her up. Now, she doesn't know Lonnie, he just sees her and picks her up. And the next day, on November 1st, 1987, she's found in an alley, which was the same alley that another victim was found. And she was shot once in the chest. Now, this time, there was a witness... The witness says they spot a red-orange 1979 Ford Pinto with a white racing stripe on the hood. She was last seen in February 2005, and her body was never found. 31-year-old Rolina Morris was last seen on September 5, 2005. Her Nevada driver's license and two sexually explicit pictures of her were found in Lonnie's garage, and her body was never found. On June 6, 2016, Lonnie Franklin receives the death penalty. But in 2019, California's governor, Gavin Newsom, says he's halting all executions for as long as he's governor, which affected over 700 inmates. I think I think California is like number two for like death row inmates because number one is Florida and then number two is California in my eyes. On March 28, 2020, Lonnie was found dead in his jail cell at the San Quentin State Prison at the age of 67. No cause of death was ever released, but they said that there was no sign of trauma. Still to this day, in 2021, no one knows how he died. 
Maybe someone killed him. Maybe he was sick. Or maybe it was just his time to go. I don't know. But I've read multiple articles that say, you know, the grim sleeper found dead in his San Quentin State Prison jail at the age of 67. And then that's it. No one knows how he died. They put a composite sketch together, but they never show it to the public. So I was like, okay. And what happens from here on out if you're not going to show the public? You know, like, what was the reason? Was it just for the police to have a visual for their own good? We don't know. After it makes the news that this woman survives, Lonnie lays low. Until 13 years later, when 15-year-old Princess had run away and was reported missing by her family on December 21st, 2001. And in order to make ends meet, she became a sex worker. Since he took such a hiatus, they decided to change his name to The Grim Sleeper. Because there was such a long time in between the killings, and for some reason I just have... I don't know, something in me just tells me to call him the Grim Reaper because I watch, I play Sims a lot and the Grim Reaper is always popping up, but it's the Grim Sleeper. March 19th, 2002, her body is found in an alley where she had been strangled and beaten. And the police knew this was the same person because DNA on her body matched DNA found on the other victims' bodies. He then stops for another year, and then it kills 35-year-old Valerie McCorvey. She was found on July 11, 2003, in an alley where she had been sexually assaulted and strangled. At the time, she did have a boyfriend, and they suspected the boyfriend had something to do with it, until they found DNA on her body that matched the other victims. Now, there are two women that survived Lonnie Franklin's attack, and I talked about one earlier on, but the second one, because I've heard this case a lot, um, and just, like, you know, doing my research, and no one ever talks about the second woman, so I'm just gonna talk about her, um, for a little bit. So, the second one to survive, her name is Monica Hunter, and at the time, she had given birth to twins in 1989. So she's going out and going to a Tupperware party at her mother-in-law's house. She was going to take the bus, but realized that it was going to take a long time. And by the time she reaches, the party would be over. Because, you know, the bus has to go through the entire city before it reaches where you want to go. So... Then a man was coming down the road in a red-orange pinto, and he asked if she wants a ride, and she's like, sure, why not? He opens the door to let her in, and then she said all of a sudden he's going like 100 miles per hour, he's hitting the curbs, and she asks what he's doing, and he tells her to not worry because when we get over here, you're going to find out what I'm doing. He got a screwdriver from the glove compartment box and he was shaking and he tells her when he opens the door she's going to get out and she's going to get naked. When she gets out there's a white sheet laid on the ground and 
When Anitra wakes up, she sees a sudden flash. She opens her eyes and sees that this man is on top of her and taking pictures of her. He then gets off of her and continues driving. As he's driving, he opens the door and pushes her out of the car. And he's like, yeah, she's dead. I shot her once in the chest, pushed her out of a moving car. There's no way she survives that. She gets up and walks to a friend's house and her friend takes her to the ER and then they go to the police with everything. She describes the man as a neat, tidy, geeky looking man wearing a black polo shirt that was tucked in his pants. She described the car as a red-orange 1979 Pinto with white stripes on the hood. Forensics run a ballistic on the bullet that was in her chest and, well, what do you know? It matches multiple other victims from, as they call it, the South Side Slayer. There was a school ID belonging to 18-year-old Aaliyah Marshall in Lonnie's garage. She gets out the car and he was in the trunk digging for something. And as she was taking her clothes off and getting ready to lay down on the sheet, a man was walking down the street and then she looks at the man and starts to yell for help. Lonnie drops his screwdriver and she starts running with one of her pants leg off. And then Lonnie gets in the car and starts chasing her. They obtain an arrest warrant and search warrant, and when they look through his house, they find over 1,000 Polaroid pictures of different women, some of them of the same women. There were hundreds of hours of videotapes that had been taken of these women. The women in these pictures and videos were black women of all different ages. Some were nude, and some of them were conscience i struggle to say that word so bad conscience and some were unconscious and when they look at the date of the video it was going all the way back to 30 years on december 16th 2010 the lapd released 180 photos of the women in hopes of the public having an I having an idea of who they are and being able to identify them police chief charlie beck said that quote these people are not suspects we don't even know if they are victims but we do know this Lonnie Franklin's reign of terror in the city of Los Angeles, which spanned well over two decades, culminating with almost a dozen murder victims, certainly needs to be investigated further, end quote. When they bring him in for questioning, there is a video on this that I will have down below as well, but his body language is so calm for someone being accused of murder, not of one person but dozens of people. He says he has no idea how his DNA was found on all 10 women. He's like, no idea. When the detectives tell him to have a closer look at the women, Lonnie says no, he has no recollection, and that the women are butt ugly. And then he chuckles and says, they're butt ugly. And it's like, Lonnie, you ever looked in the mirror and see that you're not all that? You're not. Stop hyping. Stop feeding your ego. 
Lonnie was charged with 10 counts of murder and one attempted murder. Of course, there are more victims, but there was solid evidence against those 10 women. Lonnie's lawyers argued that the DNA obtained through the pizza slice shouldn't have been admitted into court because it constituted an illegal search, but nothing really came of it. They were like, uh, we're going to ignore you. So that's a life lesson to everyone. If you don't eat your pizza crust, eat your pizza crust now. Because the pizza crust is part of the pizza and you should eat it as well. They never charged him with the death of the only man in this case, Thomas Steele, because there was no evidence to say that it was him. It was a completely different MO and where they found him, it was out in the open and there was no, again, like I said, there was no DNA to that pointed to Lonnie. The trial started on February 16th, 2016. The jury began deliberating on May 4th, 2016. And on May 5th, 2016, after three months of trial, the jury found Lonnie Franklin guilty of all counts. His sentencing began a week later on May 12, 2016, and at his hearing, the prosecution presented evidence of six more cases that they confirmed he was 100% guilty of these six murders. And they had the option to add these to the list of charges, but that would push his sentencing out more and they had the guy they were like we know you killed these 10 women plus these six women we know it's you and we're not going to waste time adding these charges but we're just letting you know we know you did it and you are going to rot in prison for the rest of your life four years later on january 1st 2007 25 year old Janice Peters is found. She was shot in the back and was in a garbage bag. And the DNA that was found at the crime scene was a match that was found on the previous 11 victims going all the way back to 1985. Since 2005, they had been requiring people that receive felony charges, more so weapons felony to submit a sample of their DNA. So they, you know, decide to run this test to see if they can find this person. But all the tests come back and it was a match for no one. So they then come up with this idea to run the DNA on a much bigger scale. They weren't looking for a perfect match, but they were looking for someone that was close enough, like a family member. In 2008, a man named Christopher was convicted of weapon, weapons charges, and they see that in the database that his DNA is somewhat of a match to who they're looking for. Christopher was too young, very too young, to have committed these murders going all the way back to 1985, but because of the close DNA match that it was, police decided to look at his father. Now, right away, they don't pursue this lead. I have no idea why, but they're like, okay, let's look at his father, Lonnie Franklin. 
but then they kind of brush it off until two years later. The police are at a stakeout at a local pizza restaurant, and Lonnie is eating pizza. One of the cops went undercover as a waiter at the restaurant, and, you know, he's doing what waiters do. When Lonnie is leaving, the undercover cop collects the plate, cup, napkins, and his pizza crust, and they extract saliva from the cup and the pizza crust when they test it and the test comes back it was a match she makes it to her house and went to the house authorities to tell them what happened and they're like you just ran into the man that is killing all the black women that are sex workers and he's and the victims are on the billboard and they're like that's who you just ran into Um, She never went to the police because um, it was like, she said it was past 24 hours after the incident, so she couldn't really go to them. But I will have her story in the description box below if you want to listen to her speak about it. Because I've um, listened and researched this case a lot and I've never heard anyone talk about her, so I just wanted to bring that up. So, this case is very similar to Anthony Sowell, who we talked about before, and when Lonnie killed his last victim, Anthony Sowell was just starting his killing spree in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, something I do want to talk about is the LAPD. Now, I don't want to say that they are corrupt, Um, but they are. Now, I'm not saying that every cop is a horrible person because there are good cops and there are bad cops. Just like with any other job, there are good teachers and there are bad teachers. But with the LAPD, there is so much going on in that department along the lines of corruption and racism. And I think that with the Rodney King beating in 1991 and the O.J. Simpson case, I mean, I wasn't born in that time, but it gave us an insight into the type of people working for the LAPD. But the fact that they actually have this NHI, which means no human involved, is just disgusting. Because like I've talked about before, these people deserve justice as well. No matter who you are, what your job is, what you look like, how much money you have, you are still a member of society and god forbid something like this happens you deserve justice just because someone's a sex worker or does drugs they are still mothers they're still sisters aunts cousins friends they are people and they deserve justice as well there is a hbo documentary about this case called the tales of the grim sleeper And the director, Nick Broomsfield, talked about what the documentary is about. He says, quote, People in Black communities don't feel that there is a justice system that supports them. Children grow up in South Central believing that the police are the last people they should turn to if there is a problem. That's what the Tales of the Grim Sleeper is about, end quote. Anitra Washington, who is a survivor, when she was shot in the chest and told the police 
what happened, the director said, quote, Even when Anitra spoke to the police after they found her shot in the chest, the police didn't follow up on anything, she said, because they viewed her as a black crackhead. She wasn't on crack, but as she says, in their eyes, every black woman is a hooker. Anitra was made to feel as if she had somehow committed a crime rather than being a victim. End quote. And that is it for today's story. I have to sneeze. Don't sneeze. <laughs> I would love to know what you guys think. Thank you so much for listening. And please stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every Thursday. You can follow my Instagram at Criminal Curiosity Pod, where you can see the pictures of the case. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating because it helps me out so much. And I would love to know what you guys honestly think about this podcast. You can also request any cases that you have through Instagram or Gmail, which I will have in the description box. And please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you.